everybody. Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to discuss and review the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. I'm your host, uh, Chad Anderson. Uh, my co-host, Heather, is here with me. Uh, last week, we were joined by Justin and Alicia from the X-Wife podcast, and we got to review X-Men number 14 called Among Us, Stalk the Sentinels, in which we saw a anthropologist and also amateur robot maker, uh, Bolivar Trask design, uh, crazy giant sentinels that could hunt and contain mutants. Uh, he launched a really impressive media campaign against mutants, which is like the first really big show of prejudice in the books. Uh, Professor X appeared in a national debate with Trask, uh, who soon revealed his Sentinels to the public, and of course things went awry because the Sentinels developed sentience, they are serving the mysterious Master Mold, who we have not met yet, and they have taken the X-Men, uh, or excuse me, taken Trask hostage back to their base, where they plan to force him to make more Sentinels. Uh, so I'm here by, uh, I'm joined here by two uh, comic book nerd professionals who do a lot of podcast and uh, drag work in the X-Men realm. Uh, I've been a fan of theirs for months and months, and I'm so excited to have you guys here. Uh, so we'll have everybody introduce themselves today. Um, uh, give us your gender pronouns. Let us know what you're doing or what you're working on right now. And then the question I have for everyone to answer uh, today is, can you think of an X-Men story that uh, taught you a life lesson or gave you some inspiration along the way somehow? Uh, so Heather, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, my name is Heather and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I think what came to mind very first when I heard this question was Rogue, because growing up, she was always my favorite. And the lesson she kind of taught me was that you don't always ha get to choose in life. Because, like, she would not have chosen her power if she had been given the ability to choose, I think. But you can still work with the circumstances that you are given and still be able to survive and thrive and do what you do. Yeah. You can, you can have uh, insane powers and still score with Gambit. Uh, <laughs> if you have a mutant collar but i i love the x-men animated episode where she goes to do the cure and at the end the resolution is sort of like you know what doctor i'm happy with my powers and the good they can do not just for myself but the whole world i reckon i can live with that after all and then she's like bye and she like bumps into angel and she's like bye fantastic uh Dayspring, you want to go next yeah, so my name is Dayspring. My pronouns are he, him, his. And what lesson have I learned from the books or X-Men in general? And I, I was thinking about this this morning. I think I'm going to go with X-Men Unlimited 38, which is where Kitty thinks she's seen Colossus. It's one year after his death. And she thinks she's seen him everywhere. She thinks someone's messing with her. With her. And Ultimately, she realizes she's projecting her grief and some days are better and some days are not so good. And I just feel that's so applicable in the last year and a half with everything that's been going on with the pandemic and in my own personal life as well. So I just love that. And I love the last couple panels where she comes out with her coffee because she's a college girl now and she's got her coffee and she meets up with the police officer she thinks is was Colossus. And he's here like, well, tell me about your friend. She goes, well, my friend 
Pietro was, and then it just kind of ends there. And I thought it was so beautiful and so well done. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And Demanda. Hi, I'm Demanda Martini. Uh, I'm a DC based drag performer, cosplayer, um, podcast guest. I guess I should like add that to my <laughs> to my bio now because I've been on so many now. Thank you all so much for having me. Um, so, I mean, I'm just uh, a working drag queen here in DC. I typically do uh, at least one cosplay number, if not two cosplay numbers, uh, when I do perform, uh, which people seem to really enjoy. Uh, I especially like doing my Jean Grey number um, because I get to pass out at the end and just lay there for the last 30 seconds of the song while people throw dollar bills at me. Um, <laughs> it's it's a delight and a treat. Um, so um, this, I guess, like story arc uh, slash like issues in particular. Uh, there are two of two of my favorite issues. Number one is um, Uncanny X Men uh, three hundred three, which is when Ilyana dies, and then the follow up is Excalibur number seventy one, which is the final piece of the um, Fatal Attraction storyline, which kind of like wraps up a little bit of that Kitty Colossus um, thing. Um, it's really just about like like grief and um, and how, you know, sometimes just, yeah, terrible things happen to good people. And sometimes when people make choices that you don't agree with, doesn't necessarily make them bad or wrong. It just means that they need to kind of go on their own, own journey. Um, so like the, the whole, like when, when Eliana died, obviously it was, it was just, I was, God, I think I was in, I think it was like 10 or something when that issue came out and like, it just made me so sad. Um, and I just remember like, oh my gosh, like this terrible disease, like just killed this child who literally is just trying to like restart her life after, you know, the whole, like living the, the life of like, you know, a demon sorceress, um, hashtag comic books. Um, <laughs> but then, but then like in, in Excalibur, like the whole thing was that Charles, which I, uh, uh, you know, listening to a couple of things, Charles Xavier is a dick. Um, <laughs> Professor X is a jerk. Um, These are best but, friends now. <laughs> but like his his whole thing in in that issue is that obviously Colossus is suffering from a traumatic brain injury, which is why he joined the Acolytes. Obviously, we need to perform brain surgery on him to make him better. And and it was just like, no, Charles, like you just made a lot of wrong choices, and Colossus through his grief is trying to find a different way and. Uh, just because that doesn't, and like his whole like emotional blackmail of Kitty in that issue to like get her to, uh, you know, get Colossus to come down and like, like his betrayal and oh my, anyway, I loved the melodrama <laughs> as as a kid reading wow. X-Men and like just that whole arc, it, it just, it just really like, again, like reading it again as an adult is just kind of like, oh yeah, like, you know, people need to sort of like find their own way and deal with their grief in their own, their own process. Yeah. Uh, and my name's Chad. I use he, him, his. If I had to choose a story, oh, there's so many, but I'm going to take myself back to when I first started reading X-Men as a teen and things were not great at home. And I was a little closeted gay Mormon boy with like a stepfather that was not a nice person. And X-Men gave me a whole world to escape into. And I am going to choose Rogue also, although for different reasons. Uh, Heather, you mentioned like she can't control her powers, but I remember being so curious about these characters. This is the pre-internet days. So I'd have to go buy back issues and learn about these characters. 
and delving back into Rogue, who kind of started out as this one-off villain, but then became this like rich, vibrant character. Like the storyteller in me was like, you can take any character and do amazing things with them and make them beloved. Uh, he like, this, here's this girl with this white stripe through her hair who talks in this bizarre accent. And like, they've done these incredible things and made her this fan favorite. And really likes walnuts. <laughs> Uh, so uh, it's it's such an honor uh, to be here with you guys. Uh, and uh, thank you for coming and nerding out with us over the original books. Um, it's been quite a journey reviewing the original books. I haven't read them in years. So taking these one at a time and like really delving in has been uh, fascinating and uncomfortable and wonderful all at the same time. Because the whole mythos is built on these uh, early books. Uh, so let's start out with uh, X-Men number 15. Uh, oh, by the way, we just have to shout out. Uh, Demanda, tell us about your cosplay today because you look amazing. Oh, oh thank you. Thank you. So this is um, obviously Marvel Girl. Uh, her off looked over, which but apparently you guys did talk about it on the podcast. Um, her second look. Uh, with the X-Men when she was like, I'm tired of wearing this like cowl on my head, which by the way, fun fact. So uh, the, the look kind of comes from like Batgirl-ish. Um, and uh, in the 1997 Batman and Robin, originally Alicia Silverstone was supposed to wear the full cowl over, yeah. over her head, like, uh, like in the comics, but it kept ripping her hair out. So that's why they then went with just the, the little domino mask. Um, because it just was so uncomfortable and so terrible. That she is had it for a split second, <laughs> right? When she had it for a split second when she was on the motorcycle. So, it, but but if you notice, it's it's a it's a really uh, loose yeah. fitting, like like loose fitting cowl thing. Oh yeah, yeah there it is. It is. See, there it is. I love this. Is one of my favorite jean looks, by the way. You um, look so great. And the bizarre submariner. My God, that's a weird. Thing. <laughs> I mean. Hey Namor. Um <laughs> the um the uh, the mask was made by uh one of my dear 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 friends, Dax exclamation point. Uh if you would like one, I'm sure you can go hit her up on in her Instagram DMs and she can make you one for a price. Um so uh but yeah, um this suit is just my regular X-Men training uniform that I wear. I did like a whole series uh over quarantine of like as many excellent as I could think of that have worn this suit, including Amanda Sefton, Moira McTaggart, Sage, uh, Polaris, uh, Rogue, Kitty. Although Rogue technically hasn't worn it in the comics, but she was on like some weird variant cover wearing it. So I was like, that's good enough for me. <laughs> that's fine. Um, I, I, I'm still waiting to like learn how to do better with Photoshop because I also with Jean, I want to do her, um, Appearance where she gets the tentacle arms when finding the Morlocks. Oh, oh yeah, my God! Yes. When she wore the suit, so I have some pictures that are like saved in my phone, ready to go for when I can like figure out how to like do octopus arms. <laughs> I love it! I love it! I love it! Uh, I vastly prefer cat mask Jean to drowned poodle Jean that we've been dealing with in the last couple of issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, mean, I have. If, uh, if you can kind of see, I do have like her little pop of her original suit up there um it's cute it's fun but yeah I, um it's also for like drag queens like having that like rounded head because our proportions are so thrown off in drag um like when you don't have anything on your head to like sort of balance it out you do look weird like even even dax when she wears like catwoman so wears a wig under her under her 
cowls to like sort of like fill out your head. Like um, a suit that I that I've only worn once, um, and I'm not sure whether or not I'm ever going to wear it in public. We'll see. Is a void from the '90s uh, Wildcats. Oh. Um, and though I love the suit, and it's such a stupid look, like it's so dumb. Um, I like my head just looks weird because like my whole body is just like padded out and like everything, and then I just, it just looks like I have this itty bitty little head. Um, so <laughs> it I looks I need so to great in the photos you posted, though. That's because they are edited. <laughs> <laughs> so what I hear you saying is that Jack Kirby not only does he understand how women really think back then. But he also knows how to dress them well and style oh, hair. No, no, Jack Kirby, bless him. I, again, he loves a dumb headpiece, which I live for. And eventually, like when he starts getting into like uh, more of like the um, what is it, like the new gods, and then like the Inhumans, like all of those like kind of super fun, weird female headpieces are super fun. Um, but they're completely impractical. Like I said, Alicia Silverstone's hair was was like being ripped off. Thank God that like I wear wigs. Um, you know, because like I, I I wouldn't be able to deal with that kind of stuff. But like like the original X Men suits, like he didn't understand that like with like to like pull a skin a skin bald cap over like your full face and then try to pull your hair out of the back of it just so like people know you're a girl. That's so dumb. First of all, all of our hair isn't fitting underneath that thing, regardless. So it it just like it just doesn't. I, I, I was I was talking I was talking to um to Clay at the the beginning oh, sorry Chad not Clay Chad uh, I was talking to Chad uh, you know before we started recording and um I, I was just like yeah uh, sugar now I've, I'm sorry I've lost my train of thought because I called you Clay like oh you're totally fine right. no um, but uh but yeah oh I, like I can write a whole manifesto like why superhero suits don't work. By Demanda Martini, because like they they're just so so for example, this mask, though adorable, though I love it, as soon as I sort of move it or adjust around my face, just like sweat falls out of it because it's just trapped behind all of this foam that I'm wearing. Um, these they're so uncomfortable and so weird. I mean, you can talk to really any cosplayer and they will tell you like how kind of uncomfortable and weird like superhero suits are like nothing they're completely off of, nothing off of roofs, and, roofs and a foam suit is not uh is not <laughs> okay so let's jump into uh x-men 15 uh this issue is called the uh the prisoners of the mysterious master mold which automatically makes me think of something growing in my bathroom shower <laughs> uh, terrible name we'll talk more about that Let's uh, let's talk about our reactions initially to the uh, cover itself. So just looking at the cover, uh, some of your initial thoughts. I think Professor X is very constipated and stressed <laughs> and letting everyone know telepathically. That's my first thought. I mean, I mean, that's that's sort of like the it's, um, you know, again, like the, the, the art style and the facial expressions of the time period. It's like you have to make him look like he's concentrating because obviously and like, you know, the fingers, the temple, like that's such like the classic, you know, like telepath thing to do. It is super awkward. Like when like, again, talking as a cosplayer, like when you're like trying to do poses and stuff, you feel completely stupid and ridiculous. Trying to like come up with like with these poses and stuff. So it is like it's, it's like I get it, <laughs> but it it does look dumb. Um, <laughs> but like for me, like some of some of the um, like 
the, it, it's definitely like the the high drama and the high camp of like the 60s comics with like the, oh, we're looming over you and look how evil we are. I like, feel it like- is. I feel, like the Sentinels, I feel like the Sentinels are having a dance party again. <laughs> They're having a good time. Yeah. Well, Cyclops' optic blast is yellow. I was about to say. And the other thing I love from this cover is Beast is on like a dissection table. And I'm like, yes, kill that motherfucker. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for, for Dayspring to talk about his very favorite. Hank. I was so excited because I love your podcast so much, guys, that I was like, oh, yes, issue 15. And I saw, oh, great, The Origin of the Beast. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Chad and Heather. <laughs> we get to talk a lot about the Beast today. Uh, Heather, did you have any thoughts on the cover? Uh, well, my first thought was about Cyclops's optic blast being yellow, but I mean, I guess it has to be so it contrasts with the sentinels behind him but <laughs> maybe he drank too much lemonade <laughs> weird that all of the sentinels are just solid red which they are not in the rest of it <laughs> I, I, like i just wonder whether or not it has to do with like the printing cost and like the coloring yeah. cost and, and like that's and like this... that's why the cover needed to be weirdly miscolored. But don't they remaster this now on digital? Like, why wouldn't they? I don't know. I was mm. thinking dramatic effect or something like that. But yeah, I'm always curious why the colors are off. I'm, so I'm sure it's OG printing. As yeah. always, we get like Professor X, Beast, Cyclops, and then like way over in the corner, there's there's Marvel Girl. <laughs> she's just she's just peeking around, kind of in a little pose again. I'm, I mean, I have, I have some things to say about some of the way that she's posed later, but so I'll save it for them. But uh, just eye roll of how, <laughs> of how she gets treated. I know. Oh, don't get me started. You know what panel <laughs> I'm dying to rant about. <laughs> Heather has been a, uh, a huge Marvel Girl advocate and anti-Professor Xavier <laughs> critic through the whole thing. Well, you're going to be BFFs, Heather. Damn. <laughs> Thanks. Ironically, we uh, so just a few weeks ago on Gray Malkin, we put out a two and a half hour episode, oh my God, uh, called The Trial of Charles Xavier, in which we basically determined he's the huge asshole. But in oh, this, Lord. but in this run, but in this run where they're fighting the Sentinels, I think we get like the best version of Professor X. He's a little bit more fearful, a little more bold. Uh, uh, I, I still have some things to say. Oh, there's definitely still things to say, but I still think it's the best version of him that we get. Yeah. Yeah. So the X-Men have surrounded uh, the base of the Sentinels, which is hidden under like a hill that is not Krakoa, although it's reminiscent. And they have some sort of uh, nature activator ray that is causing rocks and earth and trees to like turn against the X-Men, which is- Hashtag science. So in these first several pages, we just get the X-Men trying to bypass the Sentinels' defenses. And there's a lot of crazy, weird... Uh, uh, so just kind of on pages one through five, let me hear some of your favorite moments. Okay, okay. So my first reaction was, Charles, how are you going to save yourself? I have that like, in my notes. Yes, how? Honestly. He's, he's like, you guys need to worry about yourselves. I will be fine. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> 
Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, he's pitched oh, out of the wheelchair worst- and he's like, don't waste time saving me. I can save myself as he rolls down the hill. Yeah. And, but and, the best part is, Angel is thinking his brain never stops. Somehow, I'll bet he could have saved himself. And it's like, but was he going to do just like roll until he got to safety? I don't. Like I like want, I, I don't know. It's it's like Do you want my theory? Sure. Professor X is saying out loud, I can save myself while mentally manipulating Angel into saving him. <laughs> that I, I wouldn't put that past Charles. I would not no, put that past him at that's, all. That's my thoughts. But oh, like, that like, is that is deep and that is but, I agree. I agree with Amanda. I don't put it past him. Like, I, I mean, I don't put it past him. Like, he, he's just such, and, and I mean, I when, um, you know, in a couple of episodes ago, or maybe it was, I'm trying to think of, like, for you guys, it was a couple episodes ago, because obviously you recorded in advance, but, like, one of the episodes that I listened to, when you guys were just like, I mean, what else is Charles going to reveal? Because it's just, like, everything's about, like, his, like, secrets, and what he's not saying, and what he is saying, and he's definitely a liar. And, I mean, obviously, like, knowing now what we know now, like Charles Xavier was a liar from like the jump. Like he just has always, always been a liar, always, always been keeping secrets. And so yeah, it's just page kind one of like- Yeah, one we, of, of issue one, we, we see that at the very beginning. Yeah, well, it's just That's like, because Charles is a dick. <laughs> he is. Um, <laughs> but also, so, so my, my next observation, um, uh, so kind of two, kind of like a two-parter, the absolute high camp of the dialogue. Yeah. Uh, so like Stanley's writing, it is so Stanley. So it's like his writing is so consistent, even through like when he used to do like intros for like the 80s and 90s cartoons. Like it's, you can just tell that that's Stanley writing. Like it's just, that's just the way that he talks. It's just the way that, you know, it's just the way he does it. Like when, like when they're trying to escape or whatever and Cyclops like, because Cyclops is so serious. He's like, clam it, Bobby, we've got to do this. And, and Bobby's like, oh, you're such a party poop. Like, <laughs> and it's just like, sir, we are all about to die here. Can we <laughs> can we focus a little bit? Iceman, and, Iceman loves himself a phallic elongated ice pole. We see it over I was and over. About his little ice bridge there. <laughs> it's like a it's like a long two-armed pole at all times. I mean, listen, listen, that that child was already homosexual back in 1963. Like, we already knew. And this is technically the one that already came to the present and now was sent back into the past. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So he's got those Bobby memories of coming out already buried deep inside of him. Waiting. There's some subconscious <laughs> trauma. And definitely <laughs> fucking an inhuman. <laughs> Wait, what was his boyfriend's name again? Romeo. I don't remember something stupid. Romeo? Romeo. Romeo. Oh, Romeo, but I, I was like, you. oh, I'm making that up. Oh, my nope, God. Nope, that's his name. His name is Romeo. He's thinking uh, of Romeo. So they need to bypass a chasm, and Iceman generates a big platform with a couple of boobs on it. Uh, I- yeah, no, no, hold on. We, we need to step back a little bit. Even before the glider, you <laughs> before know, before the glider that he makes number. So I, I like the, I know the panel that Dayspring wants to talk about, but to lead into that beast is one of those good guys who is still absolutely terrible to women. 
Yes. Like you can just tell he's like, oh, oh why don't they yes. faint at the drop of a hat? And it's like, that's because you're a dick, Hank McCoy. They fucking hate you, Hank McCoy, since day one. And li- literally, the panel here, where he's here like to Gene, let me offer you some assistance, you damsel in distress. And Gene is like, no, I'm says, gonna- yawn. Yawn, damsel yawn. in distress. Yawn. What a pretentious <laughs> bastard. You. And then, <laughs> and then she's here like, no, I'm good. Bye. And then he's here like, oh, how I long for the olden days when maidens fainted at the drop of a hat. Like you are for those days, bruh. Yes, she, she's like, I don't have time for this. I'm just gonna co- telekinetically lift myself because I do not have the time. Like all through this first couple years, they are groping and like infanticizing Jean over and over. This is kind of like the first time I feel like she's sassing back a little bit. Like uh, yes. Heather, what did you think about her comebacks here? <laughs> I I mean, we stand a woman who stands up for herself against. Uh, misogynistic jerks like Hank McCoy. And the thing is, it happens later too, and it happens obviously a lot of times. Like, the, uh, it, it's just sort of like the trope of these uh, like 60s comic books where like girls need to be protected and even when they're literally heroes and in the thick of it, oh, go get Jean to safety. Oh, Sue, you need to go do this. Wanda, I need to protect you. Like ev- all the time, every time. It's like they they feel the need to be like, oh, but but not this lady. Whatever could she do to help? It's so, and like- so terrible. And everyone on the team is in love with them and wants their affection. It's just so... Mm. Except Bobby, because he's busy. <laughs> <laughs> so Jean stands up for herself, which we are happy about. Uh, yeah, Iceman then creates a platform with boobs on it. Instead of that a bridge... That's not what boobs look like. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> oh, what, so how also... You, what so, is so I, 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 I didn't write down the, the page that happened, but Professor X has a line in some of these panels where he talks about, I have already spent years drilling into your heads, whatever. And it's like, years? Like, didn't, like, we just form this team? Like... Yeah. Where he's here, like, I'm, I'm looking at the panel right now. It's like, nothing is impossible. Like, come on, what are you doing? Like, he's so gross. But, but, but also, like, how many... So, like, and by years, do you mean, like, maybe two like, <laughs> like maybe two years we like, later and- see we later see in deadly genesis that professor x gives that team like months worth of training in like five minutes he just like downloads yeah. perhaps he's messing with their heads and like here's two years worth of like training in your brain even though it's only been a month and and, and the thing is that i mean ratcon wise i'm sure that that is what is happening and has happened but like like when he's like, I've spent years, it's like, this is issue 15. And like, because <laughs> I mean, you I mean it's also retconned later that like Gene has been a student of of Charles for many, 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 many years. Yeah. Um, he obviously got uh Scott when he was relatively young as well. But it's just like, how long technically have the four guys been a team together? Has it been a year, two years? I, I mean, I guess not, not that it really matters, but Publishing history-wise, at the beginning, they only put out six books a year. So by the time we're at 12, it would have been two years that Stan was writing them. Oh, okay. But, yes, retcon-wise, it's only been, like, a couple months in their whole history. (laughs) It's been, like, three weeks. 
three weeks. I mean, if it's only been again, according to like Powers of X, it's only been like what, like ten years since like the uh, X Men formed or something. Yeah, ten yeah. to fifteen, depending on how you stack it up. Yeah. Uh, any other initial reactions based on them kind of trying to storm the base? So also, Professor Xavier again is an asshole. Like. Again, we are fighting for our lives, and he's like, remember, Scott, it has to be perfect the first time you shoot. It's like, no pressure or anything. No wonder Scott is, a, like, such a complex and, like, is, has, is just, you know, stick up his butt. Because, like, Charles is like, hey, remember, remember to be perfect. It's like that Alanis Morissette song, like, we'll love you just the way you are as long as you're perfect. Sure. <laughs> just like, no, Scott, I'm sorry, unless you're perfect, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I just think the absurdity of the plan, like you have Angel and Jean who can literally fly there, lift the rest of the teammates, but they want to do an ice glide and have Cyclops blast it. And it has to be perfect. I'm like, this is unnecessarily hard. Why are you guys doing this? Like you're, you're so stupid. It reminds me of like an episode of Sailor Moon where the Senshi are together and they meet this guy who's here. Like, I want to create a flying device that's going to get me over the mountain. And like, he's making it out of like scrap and metals. And like, girl, you could die. Like your life can literally be in danger. And that's all I'm thinking here. It's like, you're literally going to create an ice formation, which is really heavy. Beast is going to get on there with Bobby and Cyclops is going to blast it. That shit's going to go down. They're going to die. And there's no five to bring you back. Also, like, Iceman can create like ice slides. They can just right pull there. team over. Right there. And they're yeah. Bobby and Gene are Omega level. And so is Charles. Was Charles Omega level? I don't remember if he's official. Mm. He's powerful enough. Okay, but I'm just like, what are you guys doing here? No, no. Charles, you are the adult. Say no to these teenagers. (laughs) He's also powerful enough to somehow psychically attack robots. (laughs) (laughs) That have been been confirmed in the same issue that have no thoughts or emotions. Like they literally, it goes against their programming. They have to go check in to make sure that they're allowed to like attack their enemies. We're going, to talk about, we're going to talk about his telepathy uh, in just a minute. So uh, if we can't call those ice boobs, can we call them ice teats? Yeah, because I was going to say they look like baby bottle nipples. Okay. <laughs> so, so they grip the ice teats, Cyclops blasts them across the chasm, and then some tendrils from the d- base ensnare Beast and Bobby, and they are trapped in a cubicle of sliding glass because, you know... That's a transparent how... cage. That, that apparently Hank can't super strength his way through. Well, we get to oh, see more. We get to see more of this cage next issue, and it's actually pretty fucking powerful. So this cage is like multi-reinforced. It's pretty hard but to get. Did Cyclops like break out of it at the end of this? Yeah, they strengthened mm-hmm. it. Up. I don't know. They they like they figured out. So then uh Bobby, Bobby and Bobby and Beast are uh are gassed and knocked unconscious. And then we shift scenes over to Bolivar Trask, who's like, holy shit, I created these monsters who are gonna destroy everything. Uh he's taken before Master Mold, who he created. And from what we understand here, uh, I'm gonna read Master Mold's quote. Uh, he says to Bolivar Trask, I've summoned you to serve me. Though you have given me the power, I do not possess the knowledge to create other Sentinels. So you need to do it for me. So he's a big, giant, fucking, like, skyscraper-sized uh, uh, robot who doesn't know how to create the Sentinels. Uh, or he knows how, but he doesn't have the knowledge. It doesn't make any sense. But he needs this human mind 
to create more sentinels, even though he's developed sentience, he can't do it himself. Uh, tell me some of your thoughts on this whole relationship between Trask and the sentinels and this kind of first appearance of this very alien looking uh, master mold. So my, 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 no, go ahead, Heather. Oh, um, my first thought when they come before the master mold is why did Oliver Trask make his, like make him so huge? Like, was that really necessary? Because he's so much bigger than the other Sentinels. And so it's like, I feel like Bolivar Trask built him to, to take over. Like, he, he made him, he, he done fucked up making him that big. <laughs> <laughs> so my opinion is that, I mean, I, I, it's been so long since I've read, like, any of these older issues. But my initial reaction was like, oh, yeah. They literally took this design and took it to the 90s cartoon. Like, they didn't do any updates. Like, this design is what they use in the 90s cartoon. And in the 90s cartoon, he, like, Master Mold, as the mold, like, makes the Sentinels inside of him, and then they come out of him. I don't know if that's how this works, but that would make sense. No, in this one, that's huge. In this one, we'll see it in the next issue. There's, like, it looks like an ice tray, like it comes out of the wall and it's got like sentinels creating, they just like pop out of different compartments. So it, in this version of Master Mold, it's not inside him. But uh, Demanda, you mentioned uh, Jack Kirby's designs in like the Eternals. Uh, mm. I, this Master Mold design is like reminiscent of some of his like big sci-fi stuff. I think uh, of like- Oh yeah, like- Like, the, like the Hela from Thor. The new gods. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the, I mean, it's, it's definitely a very Kirby design. I mean, at any time you see something like that, you're like, oh yeah, that's Jack Kirby. Like, it's just one of those things where you just look at it and, like, just as, like, solid, weird, like, blocky style um, is just, it's very, it's just very, very. It just I, is. I kind of want a big, that. I kind of want a big plushie of Master Mold, I think. So, these panels has made me so excited for the Haslab Sentinel, which is shipping in the next couple of weeks, and we have a Master Mold head for it. And just seeing it here, I was just like, yes, it looks so good. <laughs> Um, I, you know, the one thing that really stood out for me here, uh, in this story, and I was shocked was how human Bolivar Trask comes across, why his motives are here and how this project got away from him and how frustrated he is. I mean, boyfriend's like all red when he's screaming about like how maddening, maddening this is. And I thought that was really interesting that they had given that much character development to him and characters like Gene feel very flat and one dimensional. Yeah, so this was written in the mid 60s and we talked about this a little last episode, but he almost comes across as uh, like a, like a um, uh, McCarthy kind of character. Uh, uh, the name is out of my brain. The 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 guy that did uh, the Kami like blacklisting. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that, that's okay. yeah. So he, he almost comes across that way. Like he's very anti mutant, uh, but he like learns like there's hubris here, right? Like he learns now. Future future writers will actually reveal that Trask has two mutant children, uh, yep. and like it's this call. It's it's almost like this. Uh, the parent of the gay kid or the parent wrestling with their own gay stuff is the one that's like doing all of the reparative therapy for the gays. Like we hate gay people because secretly I'm gay and no one can find out. It's almost like that level of motivation for him. Well, it's Madame Sanctity, that's his daughter, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Oh, so, I love so, and, and then his, his other son who, I, is it Steven? Larry, Larry Trask. Larry, Larry. Um, Larry. So, so Larry, he even makes Larry a like, 
medallion or something that like stops his powers we'll get there we'll get there in a while it's like a big old necklace that blocks oh yeah it it is it is fashion but but the thing is that like tanya uh madam sanctity like she disappeared i i want to say she in you know in all of the retcons she disappeared like before like the sentinels happened so like he's already lost one child to like their mutant power so like that's why for him it's so important that you know they get under control or you know they need protection from them because he doesn't understand like what that is but i love that i love that future writers added that piece to his character i think it's really crucial yeah um so back outside we have the other three x-men and professor x trying to figure out what's going on the weapons are still going crazy Professor X is really, really bossy, and they're trying to figure out their way inside. Uh, anything from that page you guys want to talk about? We're on page nine. Oh, um, oh, one of the things that. Uh, oh wait, do you know? I think I think that's I think that might be. Yeah, that's later. Never mind. Oh no. Um, but but like but like again like Professor X being able to just like telepathically take out robots like makes zero sense. Like I, I mean I understand like this is still pretty early. So like, they're like, oh, what is telepathy? Like what, and it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, they can do kind of like whatever the writers want them to do. (laughs) Yeah, it's like his powers are so ill-defined. Like it's not telepathy in the way that we think about it from a modern reader perspective. He's here like, I'm just, a Marvel girl may be able to levitate, but I can create these cybolts, these cyrays, and they're just going to go there. And like, I just picture these like yellow cybolts just slowly going towards the facility and everyone just twiddling their thumbs and Jean just being in the back, like, fuck my drag, right? Like, I could literally <laughs> hurl a missile at this base and you're sending these little slow cybolts. Like, fuck but you, I, bro. Again, I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but... One of my... Sorry favorite things from the 60s, which you see over and over in Stan Lee comics, is the mention of asbestos. So there's a there's a, there's a a panel where uh, Angel says, I tried to fly close and Professor X, well, unfortunately you're not made of asbestos. So this is like, just like a, a side note for a moment. There's an old, there's a human torch from the 1940s, Jim Hammond, who, mm-hmm. fights, a, who fights a villain in the 40s named Asbestos Lady. And she like has like asbestos lassos and traps that she tries to fight him with. So and she then, dies very early. Well, and then and then they create a character in the 60s to fight Johnny Storm, who we saw a couple of issues ago in the X-Men. Uh, and his name is Asbestos Man. And it's uh, it's revealed by a writer in the 90s that Asbestos Man has come down with cancer and is dying um, from all of his use of asbestos. <laughs> so it makes me laugh because back then, clearly they did not know it was poisonous, but we get lots of asbestos back in the 60s. So nerd dive. Uh, also, R.I.P. Poor Jim Hammond, who little did he know would be like roped into the crazy Vision Wanda Ultron like nonsense when he clearly did not need to be. Yeah, whenever you get whenever you get overwhelmed by the Cyclops Jean Grey Summers nonsense of the X Men, then just delve into the Wonder Man Vision Quicksilver Scarlet yeah. Witch nonsense. Be- that which also game. which also connects to the UK because technically. Uh, what's her name? Spitfire also had a blood transfusion from the Human Torch, and that's what gave her her powers. So all of those people are connected to them too. That family is messed up because she's like a vampire speedster that like has flame powers or whatever, and is also like an aristocrat slash member of the royal family. So like, 
And her costume looks a little like the one you're wearing now. now well, that, that again, that's because for the longest time, they didn't know what to do with women except for put them into a single colored bodysuit and give them a stupid mask. Which, again, I love these designs. I do. Oh my God, but you look so immaculate. Um, no, oh. so, so, uh, Spitfire, when I was going to do um, Firestar, I thought about doing Spitfire first, but then I was like, uh, a cape. Because um, capes capes are just more problem than, they, than they're worth. Um, so I did Firestar instead. So on page 10, we get kind of a hint into a little bit of like a sentinel society almost. So if we're assuming that these robots have developed sentience, we're seeing some of them that have labeled themselves with numbers, others with letters. They have like stations and jobs and like reports that they have to file and like consent that they need from their leader to do things. It's kind of, it's kind of cute in its own little way somehow. This, this bureaucratic society that they've set up for themselves. Well, because they all look like Oompa Loompas anyway, like with, <laughs> with terrible headgear. But the, uh, the, my, my theory, so we see Professor X able to like sense or follow, he can't read their thoughts, but I'm wondering if this sentience or like, uh, they use this like thought ray on Beast. I'm wondering if somehow that allows his telepathy to interface with these robots on like a minor level. Maybe that's the no prize explanation for how Professor X can trace the Sentinels with telepathy. The way I kind of saw it within these issues, especially with what we're just talking about right now, is that these sentient beings are evolving. You know, that there is some kind of progression or technological evolution that's underway here. And I thought that was a really nice, subtle thing. I'm a big Battlestar Galactica fan, especially of the 2000 series. And I like the idea that, you know, humans create life and those AIs go on to become something more uh, than their creators, so. And we have seen Sentinels in the future comics who develop sentience. Uh, yeah. Justin Seifert's Sentinel in the Sentinel series and Cerebra, the, the Sentinel that was part of X-Men Gold, yeah. if I'm remembering right. So we see- Robert from Here Comes Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we see these characters that can develop and like AIs can become beloved. Uh, and there's uh, there's a lot of AI ethics in the current comics. If you guys read like Iron Man 2020, uh, that's a sidestep into different spaces. It's but it's all about like AI ethics uh, because these are sentient beings. Where do they fit into society? Well, and I mean, even with danger, mm-hmm. danger. Uh, who, danger. Who Professor X kept locked in the danger room for because his years. teams needed to be trained. It's like you're such an asshole. <laughs> in uh, in our trial episode. Uh, we we broke it into different categories, and his enslavement was da- in, with from danger received the highest asshole scores out of all the other things he's done. Even Deadly Genesis, people were more mad about him enslaving this AI. It was because he knew she was sentient, and he chose to ignore her for the only reason was he wanted to train his pupils. That's it. That's the only explanation he gave. Right. Because he's the worst. <laughs> but also in That's modern, first two like, in your song, Heather. What? I said, that's the second verse of your song. Yes. (laughs) uh, In the Hickman era, we saw recently Nimrod and his origins and how that sort of plays into much larger experts. So, you know, the idea of these robots developing some sort of sentient behavior is something that I I was pleasantly just surprised that's been there since day one. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. That's, uh, that's, we we talked about this last time a little bit. This is kind of where the X-Men really delve into this, like, hidden society of like misunderstood people who have to fight back. Like this, this is the story arc that really, really emphasizes that moving forward. Um, so to kind of get a little more like back to the story. So like the psycho probe, like that's that, that thing 
pet machine. It's just one of those things that are in like any sci-fi or like a uh, superhero thing. We're just like, sure, this is something that we just invented in the 1960s that totally works. And it's and it's just like, what is this machine? And There's a lot of nonsense back then. But yeah, so, so like, Master Mold threatens to destroy an entire city unless Bolivar Trask puts Beast underneath a psychoprobe, which will force Beast to tell the truth and let's kind of do, even though it's spread over a few pages, let's do Beast's origin all at once. Uh, so we, we learn, it doesn't name his parents here, but his parents are named Norton and Edna, uh, Norton McCoy and Edna Andrews. They have one child. It's hinted that Beast's father may have worked with radiation at some point because that's how Beast got the mutant gene. Uh, he grew up in a, in a small town in uh, Iowa or Ohio. I don't remember. Me, Illinois. I think Illinois also. Illinois, what a, some little town where he learns early on that he has uh, mutant talents. Some kids are bullying him. He gets knocked into the street. He hops over a car. Uh, he ends up joining the football team where he uses his powers. Uh, they call him the beast because he's such a beast on the playing field. Uh, he's hopping all over the place using his big old feet. He's excelling in academics and selling in sports. Uh, but he's picked on. So Professor X comes and recruits the Beast to join the X-Men. Now, uh, in, in X-Men 50, somewhere around there, there's more added to this origin story with an obscure villain called the Conquistador. Uh, but uh, Beast has like a very like white privilege story. Like Cyclops is the orphan, Jean saw her friend die, but Beast is like wholesome, like breadbasket, uh america like excelling at everything tell me some of your thoughts on his uh origins i mean so so i mean the the other three so like cyclops is like the tragedy of like i lost my parents i grew up in an orphanage that was like trying to clone me or whatever like gene cycling so, like, friend die um which you know is like super traumatic or whatever but like the other three like i mean so like warren talk about white privilege like sure I have just all of the money that I can just, people just don't know that I have fucking wings growing out of my back. Like, even though I'm a millionaire and everybody knows who I am, nobody knows that I have wings because I have the money to make people not know that I have wings. Um, and then Bobby, it's, his story is fairly similar to, to Hank's where it's just like, oh yeah. But like his parents are definitely in the, I, I think they kind of did get it relatively correctly in um x Stewart, i'm sure his mom was just like well haven't you tried not doing that like <laughs> like like baby maybe you should just not make ice like can you just not do that so um beast beast stands out to me so angel i sympathize with a little bit because he's got like the closeted wings thing there's like a lot of pressure on him he's off at military school mom's a drunk dad puts a ton of pressure on him i can empathize with, empathize with angel Iceman's got the closeted, like, Christian kid vibe. I can empathize with that. Beast, I have no empathy for. I, listen, I'm going to jump in and defend Beast here. I'm surprised. This I'm sorry. I know. What? I'm sorry. Listen, li these kids are calling him ugly. He is a 14-year-old kid. I mean, this, we see that Beast is deeply insecure about his appearance. That is a hallmark of the character, you know, and I can't believe that on the school ground, people were calling him ugly. And this is sort of like where it starts for him. And listen, he's a total jerk. He's a sociopath. He's better off dead. But like, I did feel for him. I mean, 
whether you come from a privileged background or not, being bullied at a certain age is so damaging. And these kids are just awful to him. And like like the other thing, like the thing that I think, I guess I have a problem with that I'm just like, you know that Hank was still like hot though. Like, (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like his muscles were just bigger. And so he was like wider and thicker. And yeah, he had big hands and feet, but like, that's not a problem. Like, so, so, I mean, obviously, like, the kids were just mad that he looked better than them. Yeah. But, you, know mean, they say, you know what they say about a man with big feet? <laughs> big hands. It's impossible Ew, to find feet. shoes for them. Ew, so that's why he had that pouch in the Hellfire Gala. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh. but, also, but also, it, it but, I mean, it kind of does then go to reflect, like, why Beast continued to, like, I guess, like, mess with his appearance and, like, take, like, make, like, his weird concoctions and, like, turn himself into a blue, then gray, then blue, then a cat, then a lion. (laughs) Uh, I I was shocked at how human he came across in certain aspects of his origin story. I was pleasantly surprised. And, look, I'm not a big Hank McCoy fan, but... You know, I, I just sympathize with him because at that age, when people just call you ugly, it's something that just stays with you for the rest of your life. And that's something, again, that's emblematic of his character. Heather, what were your thoughts on his origin? Uh, I mean, I agree that it was a very privileged upbringing. And, um, you know, I only know his origin story from this. So his parents might be different than I think. But he even has like the parents who, like he's a good boy and like we still love him even though people are calling him a freak and like so like he obviously has some familial support which not everybody does have and so he does come from a very privileged background but I also agree with Dayspring that bullying at such a young age is very damaging and I think that comes across in him now like where we're at now because he because he's a little bit pretentious. He's a little bit sanctimonious. And I think it comes from his insecurity from being bullied. But yeah, so Heather, I was thinking to... that too. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just thinking okay. that too. Now I understand why he has this defense mechanism up because of all of the stuff that was happening to him growing up. And it also uh, makes me respect it even more because I've brought it up in past issues where I always love whenever he's like, I'm my favorite X-Men. And like, you know, you're thinking about me, like that's such a great way to be like thinking to be thinking about type of thing. And so I, I always love that, but I kind of love it a little bit more because I know how bullied he was growing up. And so it's like the fact that he is at least able to like project this kind of self-esteem, like we can get on board with it. Yeah, uh, so I'm a clinical social worker by trade. So delving into psychology for a moment, there's two things interesting standing out. Number one, I think Beast's smarts is a defense mechanism. When he's uncomfortable with himself or vulnerable, it's much easier to go to big lofty words or to think how smart I am or to throw himself into a book than to try to have like real conversations with people. Oh, I I said this in our Beast episode, anti-Beast episode. He he uses hyperbolic jargon to mask his emotions or to form any like real connections with other people around him. I agree wholeheartedly with that. 
And then secondarily, I really see someone who's celebrating his freakishness, if you will. So he's on the football field with these giant ass hands, giant ass feet, and they call him the beast. And he's like, yeah, fuck yes, I'm the beast. And so when he gets to choose a superhero name, that's the name he latches onto. He's remembering these days when he was celebrated on the football field and like owning himself and feeling himself. So I've always, I've always commented on what a bizarre code name that is for him, but it's kind of an interesting psychological bend there. But yo, even when Xavier comes to the dinner table to meet his family, he jumps up on the chair with his feet and his parents are like, mind your manners. I think you see a level of confidence within Beast and his powers that he's sort of embraced, which is something we don't get later on with him. Which is why he loves to like latch onto a pole with his big toe and spin around all day. Right? <laughs> He's just constantly doing nonsense. I like Beast in these issues. It is a weird origin. It's a weird payoff. So yeah. the cover the cover's like the origin of the Beast. And you're like, oh, he played football and got teased. The secret origins of Beast. The and then, suburbs, like, <laughs> like it's just very like, oh, cool. So you, when like, like when like three issues ago, we got Professor X's like tragedy, and his dad died, and his mom died, and there's explosions. Like Beast is like, hey, here I am. <laughs> but like, yeah, and like Xavier's like, oh no, I'm so worried. We have to stop Beast from talking too much. I'm like, he's saying nothing. This is so boring. <laughs> like, well, and, and it's like, and he got there just in time to get him to not reveal who Charles Xavier was, because again, it wasn't about. Be safety because he could have gone in there at any time to stop these from doing anything. We must stay closeted at all costs. But, but actually, if you even think about it, Demanda, that's a really fair point. Like, here's a student who's being forced. Um, wh- what does the caption say? The the psycho beam is going to make him say things irresistibly, you know, without, you know, in a monotone voice. Like, that is like an invasion of privacy for Beast, whether the story is very mundane or not. The machine is forcing him to give out personal information and and, and Xavier doesn't care until it's his turn. He's like, oh shit, no, yeah. I, no one can know my information. Which brings me to my next point. So I know I don't know where exactly this is in the story because I'm not following along in, in the book. But like the, the next point that I brought up is when... Um, Angel and Jean and Cyclops are, are about to, I, I think they're about to fight the Sentinels. And Angel's like, oh, I guess we better like get on it. Or Professor Xavier is going to have to recruit a new team pronto. And it's like, <laughs> that's eerily foreshadowing. Because literally, he doesn't care. He will go find more teens. He will continue to go get more mutants. He does not care about us. Alone. He does not care about you. He does not care about any information that you reveal. He just wants to make sure that he's going to continue on with his dream. And and here's the other thing. When Hank was like, I'm, you know, with the X-Men, I protect the world against evil mutants. And I'm just like, wow, Xavier really does have these black and white point of views on mutants. He doesn't see Magneto for everything he went through or the twins or Toad. Like, they're just bad. And that's it. I'm going to weaponize these kids in order to make my point and set the world the way I want to see it. I was just like, you're brainwashing these kids to think that Magneto is a bad guy well, when he's we, a far more complicated individual. If we delve Sorry, into Clay. queer, no, you're good. If we delve into queer history. Clay. Sorry, Clay. <laughs> if we delve into queer history, we can go into 1960s. And if we have a gay allegory here, this would be the closeted gays seeking to protect the world from the evil gays while remaining. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting concept. I don't no. know. 
I was, okay, so even though the movie is a problem and terrible, but did any of you see, like, the 1996 movie Stonewall with Guillermo Diaz? Yeah. So, uh, and, and this was, like, a for real legit thing. There were those, like, super white bread, clean cut, uh, sometimes older gays who were like, we need to wear suits and ties, and we need to, like, be presentable and whatever, and we don't want the weird trans kids. We don't want the loud drag queens. We don't want the black people. We don't want like the other people. We just want people to recognize us, the super clean cut, normal looking people. And like watching that movie now, I remember watching it many years ago, but it was on Amazon Prime or whatever. And so I watched it and I was like, it made me mad. And then, and then like later when like the main character um, goes to Fire Island with them, and he's like, like these gays are like fighting for rights, but then when they go to Fire Island, and they still have to obey all of these weird fucking laws where it's like the tea dance, where you have to dance facing forward, you're not allowed to dance unless a woman is dancing, and the guy's like, why? Like, why? Like, why? Why is this a thing? You know, um, you're so right, Amanda. When I was working at The Advocate, one of the, like I had to do a story once on like why the LGBTQIA plus movement was so disembodied and disjointed. And one of them was like, well, because we never had a leader like MLK because of the HIV, you know, pandemic in the 80s. But someone who was clean cut, who kind of would spearhead and show that gays are just like everyone in the suburbs. And I remember thinking like, but we're not. Like there is a whole multitude of different people and identities that are going through so yeah. much and no one wanted to acknowledge them. And by the way, we saw that today with gay Republicans oh. who literally like, what do you mean? Everything is fine. No, it is not. Maybe, maybe for a gay man, you're feeling good about the situation, but you still have trans individuals. And it is like the prejudice they experience or people who are non-binary who are literally not doing anything other than trying to identify with themselves and using appropriate pronouns and you're making fun of them on twitter like absolutely it is unacceptable and this it is xavier is so oh. frustrating. xavier so frustrating. is a mutant republican oh 100 <laughs> republican he is, he is he's a log cabin mutant that's exactly <laughs> what he is He's so I, I kind of want to, to close up the conversation on Beast, I kind of want to insert like four pages of, he's under the psycho probe and Master, Master Mold is questioning him. And Beast is just recounting like every football victory, every girl who ever had a crush on him. And Master Mold's like, no, tell me where your leader is. And he's like, and then there was this girl in math class who thought I was so smart. He's, he's, oh, I'm sorry, is Beast talking about himself? Yeah, I kind of want to add that in. I think it would he's, be amazing. He's totally pulling pulling the um, the chunk from, uh, from Goonies where he's like, and then there's this oh, one yeah. time. <laughs> That's exactly what is happening. It's great. It's just like, this is not the information that I want. Uh, so the X-Men uh, that are still outside storm their way into the nature base, leaving Professor X outside. They come across Sentinels who are just sitting here like like little lumpy dolls. <laughs> They're just like, we were overwhelmed by a psychic. We don't know how. They're just waiting to be activated so they can stand up and dance with the others. Uh, uh, but they, there's there's a battle between the Sentinels. Oh, there's a there's an interesting lecture from Professor X uh, to Cyclops on leadership, on what it takes to be a leader. As they're as they're charging forward, uh, he is commenting. Oh, I lost the panel. 
It Jeez. says, you made the right decision, Scott, but always remember with the pride of leadership goes the weight of responsibility. You must be able to bear them both. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. and I think, I think this no is- No pressure, 16-year-old boy. But I think this is a really defining- I think this is a really defining characteristic for Cyclops moving forward. Like it tells us a lot of insight into how his character thinks uh, in these early several years before he figures out how to have a life too. Uh, so anyway. I mean, but did he though? Because the time that he tried, he still left his wife for his dead girlfriend. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> just saying. And let's not get started on Lee Foster. <laughs> or his, uh, his ill-fated romance with Colleen Wing. <laughs> oh yeah god that's that's ancient uh so the x-men make it inside they are battling the sentinels uh we see this bizarre panel of gene kind of telekinesising one sentinel like flopping i this this yeah and, but of, wait my favorite what? is that she has to go oh it fell oh Oh no! Like, girl, why did you have it fall towards you? You literally moved it with your own mind. Have you guys ever fallen over like the sentinel is falling? Like, it's just full on knees bent, face plant. Like, I don't know. I uh, and Jean's going, I did it in the background. <laughs> She's literally, doing, I did it, but it's also like doing like one of these. Like, oh, yes. She has the most practical power. Like she can move things with her mind at this point. And she's like, I did it. And she's so surprised that she can do things. And I'm like, why? Why? It's the, the way they Nobody wants her to do shit. <laughs> because the professor blocked all of her powers from her mind. Oh, and he's secretly in love with her. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Oh. We yes. We've we've yes. Yes. Well, we know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so the X-Men free Iceman, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And within a couple of pages here, they are all knocked unconscious and captured. The Sentinels have got them. Meanwhile, we shift to Professor X outside. And again, this is one of my favorite versions of Professor X. He's following like thought particles or some shit. <laughs> He's astrally releasing himself uh, into the base uh, where he interfaces with Beast uh, kind of watches what's going on. And then Master, Master Mold can sense him. So again, there's some sort of sentience happening and he disrupts Professor X's astral form with microelectric blasts, which then sends the astral form rushing back outside. What are your thoughts on Professor X here on these couple pages? That's not yeah. how science works. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean to be fair, mutants is also not how science works, but- I mean, I mean I mean, he, at least he's doing something, again, they're still, in my opinion, motivated by the fact that he didn't want Beast to reveal who he was. Because um, again, he could have done that at any time, um, but he waited until that moment to do it. Um, but I mean, at least he was doing something and he's not just like, I'm just monitoring you while I'm drinking my smoothie. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, and what he says, he's saying, you're like, Hank cannot help himself. Like, I have to step in now. And Dimitri brings up the really valid point. Why didn't he just do that from the get-go? Why didn't he just telepathically go in there? And by the way, the, I thought it was an interesting way in which his powers were limited um, when uh, Master Mold's like sparkles come out of his fingernails. I was thinking of obviously Shazam, like Captain Sparkles. But you know what? I was like, okay, so he's not 
from a writing standpoint, they're showing that he's not invincible in his astral form, that he is susceptible. And if he doesn't make it back to his body in time, then he's going to be in a comatose state. And, you know, for, again, being very early on in the mythos, I was like, okay, so you're at least showing why this all-powerful being isn't always in an astral form fixing things, because if something should go away, he will be left comatose. Right, right. Uh, I think I think he's impressive-ish as far as Professor X goes here, uh, and and again we have to take time to step back and go. They they made a primary character in a superhero comic who's which is prominent like in a wheelchair, which is incredible for the 1960s. Oh, yeah. like, I do think that's amazing. Uh, so we kind of end the issue with Bolivar Trask. He's standing there kind of helplessly recognizing his own hubris, right? Like these things that I tried to create. I'm realizing uh, the X-Men number one aren't that bad. Number two, I need to change my mind about mutants. But here's these teenagers that are harmed because of what I've done. And now they're ordering him to create more Sentinels or they'll start killing people. Uh, he's put in a pretty tough spot. Did you feel for Bolivar here? I did. I thought, again, because he said like, oh, that's what the X-Men do. Like, I had no idea. And I thought that was, I mean, listen, I mean, what, what happens later on, you know, it's another story. But like within the confines of the story, I was like, you know what, they are they are showing a fully fleshed out character here with motives being like, wow, what I was doing was absolutely wrong. So in that way, yes, I did see a point of view for the character. Any other thoughts? I just loved seeing someone who could be open-minded enough to realize like it's not even just he realized he was wrong because he's the one in trouble now like he realized he was wrong because oh I didn't have all the facts and I just you know went ahead and did my thing and now he has to make a really difficult decision because you know on the one hand if he helps them make more sentinels they're going to enslave human, like humanity. But if he doesn't, they're going to start killing everyone. And so like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, that's not an easy choice for one person to make. Like he, sh he shouldn't have to be making that choice just because of he's not in a position, like he's not prepared to make that choice because he has not been in a position of power like that. But it's like, okay, do I let every like help everyone live, but be enslaved forever, or do I see if I can help some of them, and the rest of them will be killed? I feel like uh, starting with X Men Twelve when the Juggernaut comes in, I feel like Stanley makes magic in every panel, really truly. In the first eleven issues of the X Men, there's all this nonsense space. There's a villain. Let's spend five pages looking for him in the mm -hmm. streets before we get like. There's action and revelations and character motivation in almost every panel here. There's a lot packed in. Uh, I always like to ask this question last. So I'm going to ask the question, but then get to my very favorite part of today's issue very quickly. So I'll have you guys answer the same question, but what was your favorite moment in this issue and who was your star player? So I'm going to answer that question first. Going back to the flashback with the Beast, this was my favorite thing in this whole issue. Beast is standing, uh, or excuse me, he's at his parents' dinner table using his big giant feet to like grip the back of his chair. He's being so much and Professor X has come to talk to him about it. Uh, and Beast's parents, so if this is an allegory of queerness, right? 
he's revealed his queerness to his family. And his parents' response are, his dad says, he may seem strange to others, but he's a good boy, do you hear? And his mom says, we're terribly proud of Henry, despite other people calling him a freak. So we see this like love and acceptance from the parents toward him for his uniqueness, which is something all of us as queer kids craved so badly. And frankly, none of us probably got, I don't know any of your individual stories, uh, but I love, love, love this uh, example. After which Professor X then says, that's why I'm here. Your son can either go through life as a freak or a benefactor of the human race. The choice is yours, which is such an asshole pressure like point to put on a teenager. But my star players, my favorite moment in the comic was this scene and the star players in this issue were Beast's parents for being loving and supportive. Cause I feel like that's the story we all want and or hope for. So I'd love to hear your comments on that. And then tell me who your favorite, uh, your star player was and your favorite moment in today's issue. Um, I'll go first uh, or second. Um, I, my favorite moment is Jean Sassmel. Like she, she definitely, um, I mean, again, I haven't read, uh, you know, all of these issues recently, but it definitely like, uh, like this is, this is like the, the first like three-parter, right? Like the other ones, maybe one or two issues, but like, so it's like, he, I think he's like finally like finding the groove of like, of like the, the story and like storytelling and um, Gene finally being able to like show some agency and being like, um, no thanks. I can handle doing things myself. Cool. Um, I, I mean, it's still very, you know, 1960s and, um, you know, slightly misogynistic and, you know, all of that stuff. But Jean finally, like Jean just being able to, or like Jean needs to go away. She's like, uh, no, hi. Remember, I signed up to be on this team too. Like, I'm still going to like be here to fight because I'm also way cooler than the rest of these idiot boys. Duh. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, also, <laughs> I just really like Gene. I love um, the Gene love that's here today. It makes me happy. I, I mean, we are crazy Gene stands over at Power of X-Men. But I was going to say Gene because, again, like for exactly what Demanda said, but I'm going to give it to Bolivar because I really do like his change of heart. And it's so refreshing to see someone with such hateful politics be like, you know what? I was wrong. I'm making this problem worse. I should have changed. Like, I didn't know the full story with the X-Men. Like, oh my God. And I, I just think it's so refreshing to see someone who is so wrong, at least admit error and try to change their ways. And it's just something I crave in today's world when I'm talking to people who are just so hateful and refuse to see another side of the point and just Google facts that tailor to their half-baked argument and have absolutely no footing. So I thought Bolivar, I think there was a nice parable there of someone who perhaps was motivated, but was full of hate and they can change. And I think that's a great way. I'm gonna sidestep here for just a moment. I love your answer. Also, I have, I have to look at Bolivar as, there's this local guy, I will not use his name, I'm in Salt Lake City. There's this local guy who ran like, I can cure your homosexuality therapy camps for years. And he would advertise himself as, I'm a gay man myself, but look at how straight I am. I have a wife and children. And a couple of years ago, he came out publicly. He's like, I'm leaving my wife. I'm gonna date men now. Sorry for all those times I screwed up. So end of the day, I'm glad Bolivar's having this awakening, but also he destroyed these fucking like mutant killing oh. animals. So I- Yeah, don't get, don't get me wrong. 
<laughs> I mean, he doomed the X-Men. I mean, this is like literally the birthplace of Nimrod, you know, <laughs> like that's it. Like, but, you know, taking the story for what it is in the context of it as and putting my, my mind set as a reader in the 60s, that's a nice parable as a kid or an adult to read that someone can change like that. Obviously, we know later down the line, the narrative is far more complex. Absolutely. And I love your answer, too, even though I'm pulling in the reparative therapy card. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a very fair response to that. Again, just in the context of the story. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Heather, how about you? Um, I was actually thinking my star player was also Bolivar for very similar reasons that Dayspring said. And I'm also going to say that that's just in the context of this one issue. He's not necessarily my star player all the time, but in this one issue, I was a fan of his because like Dayspring said, he does admit that he's wrong and he realizes that he needed to know more before he jumped in and started this project. And like I was saying earlier, he now has to make what's basically an impossible choice. And I think my favorite moment, I feel like I'm disagreeing with everyone today because my favorite moment is the same as Demanda's when um, Jean like sasses Hank and it's just lovely because he's- It's so great. (laughs) He's like, step aside, bitch, and like levitates herself up. Yeah. Uh, So let's get your preliminary reactions or your thoughts on the cover of uh, X-Men 16, which we'll be reviewing next time. We have a team of teenagers launching themselves at Master Mold's crotch. <laughs> like it's a it's a weird angle. I mean, I think I've been to that party. Um, <laughs> Honey, you hosted that party. <laughs> at that party, did you make the supreme sacrifice? <laughs> Possible. Well, there's Bobby with his long ice thing yeah. again. <laughs> I feel like I feel like he's just farting ice, like. Master Mold's face, though. What is that? He's legit, like. I mean, it's very, it's very dark side. It's very Modoc. No one, no one is flattering. From like when you take the picture under your chin, it's just (laughs) an angle for anyone. I mean, the angles, honey, have to come up here. Like Cyclops hugging his knee and like Master Mold about to like swat him off like a fly. <laughs> like just like <laughs> I'm like that's Cyclops. Leave Scott Summers alone. Oh, uh, Day Spring and Demanda and Heather, all three of you. I uh, I think you are authentic and wonderful and nerdy and delicious. And thank you so much for being here. Uh, what a joy to uh, spend an afternoon with you. So I'm so happy to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Super fun. I mean, so I mean, again, for for people who you know sort of know who I am or whatever, I love talking nerd shit. Like any any time, any place, anywhere, I'm I'm down to just get nerdy and talk about stuff. I love it. Uh, so uh, anything you guys want to plug as far as what you have coming up in your own podcasts or work, uh, and where can we we find you on social media if people are looking for you? You want to go like, first? Who do you want me to go first? <laughs> Who's going to go first? Anyway. I'll go first. Hi. Hi. So I'm Demanda Martini. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Venmo, and PayPal 
at Demanda Martini, D-M-A-N-D-A-M-A-R-T-I-N-I. Um, so I, uh, the next thing that I will be on is I'm going to be on Instagram live on Tuesday. The, oh, never, I mean, this is not even going to be out by then, or this is going to come out way after. Yeah, this um, will come out about three weeks after. Yeah, so, so, I mean, but you, I'm regularly guesting on uh, Power of X-Men. Um, I will also be, if you're in the DC, in the Washington DC area, um, I have a bunch of shows coming up. I will be posting my September schedule very soon, as well as uh, my October schedule, which is getting really full because everybody loves the cosplay queen for Halloween. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so you will see me around the city. Uh, and uh, I also have a couple of new looks coming up. So be on the lookout for some new cosplay. I can't wait. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Um, so I'm Dayspring. I'm the host of Power of X-Men. We are on Instagram and now Twitter at Power of X-Men. And we're, we, we, we try to do YouTube as well. So please go check us out there. Upcoming projects we have. We, we have a couple of upcoming projects that I haven't announced yet that I'm really excited for. But upcoming guests include Agent M from Marvel, who is absolutely incredible. And we may see some familiar Hasbro faces next week on that episode. So I'm really excited for that. But really, we have Chad in an upcoming episode of All New X-Men, where we discuss the first six issues and so much more in his entire fandom. And then we also have Demanda coming on again uh, well, again, this Tuesday, we're, we're going to be doing an Instagram live with Klaniskani, but you guys won't be able to tune into that because this is in the future. I mean, but it'll, it'll still be on your Instagram. So they can it'll still be on the Instagram, so go see on the feed there. But Demand is going to wrap up our What If coverage with a super size. We, we call them mini soaps, but I was like, no, Demand, we are doing the whole shebang there. And, <laughs> because and they sure can't get me to stop talking. No, it's, <laughs> the people know who we book on Power of X-Men. And we're just so excited. I'm sure I'll probably drunk text you tomorrow and be like, Demanda, come on this another podcast episode. <laughs> like literally. And then I'll be at New York Comic Con. I'll be I'll be doing the New York Comic Con things. And Heather, how about you? Uh, I am on Instagram and Twitter at Heather underscore Beth underscore. Um, my Twitter is private, but I'm real liberal with letting people follow me. So Send a request if you want to follow me and I will most likely let you. <laughs> uh, when I first started considering doing Gray Malkin, I started researching other queer podcasts uh, and Power of X was one of the first ones I came across. Uh, Dayspring, you were so kind to me when I first reached out to you. And I think, I feel like we've become friends now at this point, which is lovely. So thank you for being here. It's a huge honor. Uh, Demanda, your body positivity and your nerdiness and everything you stand for, you're one of my favorite people to follow on social media. Uh, so you guys, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I hope you're having fun listening. We have great stuff coming up uh, with Graham Alkin. Uh, we're having fun making this. If you're having fun listening, then I will consider this a huge success. So have you a guys day. are always having a riot, by the way. Like it is such a joy to listen to you all. Really, like thank you for having us. Yeah, we're so happy to have you. It's uh, it's fun to just laugh and be nerdy. It's my favorite thing. It's a really wonderful escape from like the realities of life. So I'm just having fun. Which is uh, which is the key. All right, you guys. Hey, have a beautiful weekend, and uh, we'll see you soon. Uh, see you next time on Grey Malkin Lane, uh, issue sixteen for the Supreme Sacrifice. Okay, mm -hmm. bye everybody. Bye.